Welcome to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm, a podcast for managing and growing your legal practice. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Entrepreneurial Lawyer. Today, we will continue on with our conversation with Matt Holman from Filament, talking about meetings. How can leaders take advantage of what you're saying and make their meetings better? I, so I, I think that the if I have one bit of advice, and we'll, I'll, I'll share a resource that you can put in the link. Uh, we build a meeting canvas. It's effectively a fairly simple document, but it asks questions about a meeting before you schedule it, right? Uh, we're gathering to accomplish. It's important for us to do this together and in person because by the end of this meeting, we will. Uh, what's the time amount of the ask? What's the preparation? It makes to be intentional about your meeting. So that is, I think, the number one thing is so oftentimes we just get into habits of meetings that are always on the calendar because they've always been on the calendar. Mm-hmm. But if you as a leader or really as anyone who sets meeting, which is almost everyone in an organization, be just a bit more intentional about is it necessary? What will we accomplish? How do we make this meeting a single purpose versus the catch-all Swiss Army knife of meetings that I was discussing when we first started? And be thoughtful. I know lawyers, and, and lawyers are not people who spend a lot of time in Excel, generally, right? Well, I'm definitely one of them. <laughs> but there are lawyers who have spent more time training to use Excel than they have training to do meetings, and yet you look at their calendars and where's most of their time spent. Right. Meetings. I want to take this information and and start talking to the individuals in my company, but also with one of our clients. It's a very large firm, and this is just resonating because I'm thinking they have so many meetings, but I don't think it's they're thinking forward on the amount of money that's being spent in these meetings well, and, and what they're gaining out of them. And, and not only that, but if, if you are going to gather, and this is where this is a thing that was tough for us over the last year and a half. Uh, as we've come out of of this situation we found ourselves in, we were a business that said, we only do in-person meetings, right? We want to do in the room things you can only do in person. Mm-hmm. We were able to shift that uh, and say, what can we only do virtually, right? So we were able to think we weren't trying to just replicate our in-person meetings online. But if you're gathering people, they're entitled to uh, a purpose of the meeting, uh, a single year focus, the capacity to prepare. And then you also have to build into your culture ways, uh, meeting norms. I'll give you one of my favorites is that if I say, I need you all to read this, uh, this three page document before we start to talk about this topic, homework is hard. Everyone wants to come in at the last minute and do it. Um, I might say, okay, if did, did you read it? If you didn't read it before you got here, you can't talk about it when we're having this conversation, right? You 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 didn't do the mm-hmm. prep, so you don't get to participate. Uh, yet another one, this is an Amazon meeting practice, is that we're going to spend the first 30 minutes of our meeting reading everything so we all start having knowledge versus the drive-by comment. And it's always, it's always the leader. In my, oh, well, what about this? And so being able to be thoughtful about preparation uh, and in a firm that size, a significant number of their meetings are non-billable. Right. Right. So even if they look at the 1,440 minutes they have in a day and so on and so forth, getting better at meetings has real significant ROI for that organization that might be measured in the millions of dollars, depending upon the number of firm, number of lawyers they have in the firm. You touched on something that I think would be a hard transition, especially for law firms, is the virtual aspect of a meeting. In person, you can get more engagement, more involvement, and even more camaraderie. But how do you keep someone engaged virtually? Depends on the size of the meeting. Right, and I think there, there's a. Hand, I would say there's probably three practices to think about. The one is that either be virtual or be in person, but don't try to do both. Mm-hmm. We tend to shrink 
the in-person experience through something that can be consumed virtually. Uh, and it ruins it for everybody, right? The hybrid meetings, I'm not a big fan of. I think either be virtual or be in-person. Try not to do both. So when you say hybrid, you're saying half of the group in an office. And half of the people of the joining people virtually. Joining it just doesn't work, it doesn't work particularly well. But if you are welcoming team members who are virtually and you're the leader, even if you're in the office with the other people, you need to be virtual too. You need to signal to them and be paying attention to their experience versus the joking, the things that happen and really excluding them in a way. So the second thing is that if you do have this hybrid meeting situation, be focused specifically on how you as the leader welcome everyone and treat everyone equally. And being the one person in the room with the five other folks while 10 other people are virtual doesn't do that. And I think the third tip is this, is that there are a significant number of meetings that never had to be meetings, right? And so we found, and a PowerPoint is an easy bogeyman for this, but if your virtual meetings, uh, if you want people to come back in the office, but your in-person meetings are just as bad as your virtual meetings, then you're not giving anybody a compelling reason to attend. Mm-hmm. We've been, we can be bad at PowerPoint virtually just as bad as we can be online, right? So if you're building meetings to mirror an in-person engagement and having them virtually, you're going to get lack of engagement just as you do in person where people are looking under the table at their phones. It's just it's easier to hide. And so in that situation, use some of the tools in the virtual meetings. Use the breakout rooms. Uh, we use sometimes simple our worksheets. We can just put them in an online doc and let them in a collaborative document environment where people can then break in the rooms and still have those conversations and fill them out just as they might be filling them out in person. Mm-hmm. But use some of these tools to drive engagement and, again, make, make their room for small group conversation because nothing works worse than the 500-person or 100-person, even 30-person virtual meeting where one person's talking at a time and we can't figure out which box it is. And, well, how do you overcome that to make sure that everyone's heard, but that everyone is also trying to move forward in a, in a better direction for the company? In some cases, those are two different goals, right? So one of the, a dirty little facilitation secret that I love, and it works great virtually as it does in person, is you find someone to share first. Right, but I'd say, oh, who wants to go last? Right, Dan. Oh, you you want to go last? Great. You pick the person to go first. They pick the person to go next, and you can kind of bounce your way around the room. And what tends to happen again, virtually or in person, what tends to happen is people pick people they want to hear versus the people who want to volunteer. But if I'm an attorney, I may have flashbacks to law school. Think, oh my gosh, this is a Socratic method. I remember going into class and going, please don't call on me. Please don't oh, call on me. Me too. But <laughs> but what happens again? If you're asking people, you need to have, uh, you need to be asking questions that they can answer. Yeah. And I'll just talk about this. And this is a brainstorming tip, but it works especially well in this particular circumstances. There are people who process out loud, right? I'm the extrovert. I think really well in a room, and it has to come out of my ma- mouth before I'm able to kind of sort it around, right? Introverts are the opposite. They want to be thoughtful. They want to think about something. So if you're going to say, let's have a conversation about what we should do next, you need to let everyone who's coming into that meeting know what that is. Give them a day or two. Ask them to come with 10 ideas pre-put in a document. Have an asynchronous collaboration in a shared doc. Let them think about it. And then what you're asking them to do isn't come up with something on the fly, which some of us are good at and some of us are not, Mm -hmm. but to rather be uh, able to share the things they've been thoughtful about. And so that's another simple way uh, to drive more participation engagement because you're not just asking the extroverts who win in those competitions to share. Yeah. And one thing that, that I thought of when you were talking is trying to cut back on the meetings to make the ones you're having more productive and better ROI. But then I remember, and I'm, I'm guilty of it sometimes too, but a meeting to prepare for a meeting. 
That's right. Right. <laughs> and 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 it's okay to have a meeting to prepare for a meeting uh, if it will make that second meeting more effective, mm-hmm. right? That preparation group is smaller. But if, as so many of us do, the time we spend preparing for meetings is making our PowerPoints look good versus being thoughtful in what we're going to put in them versus being thoughtful about the asks we're going to make, we need to make sure our PowerPoints look good. And in mm-hmm. big corporations and big firms, so use your firm as an example, if there's a group of people who are presenting on a monthly basis to the managing partner and her team, thousands of hours go into that because they want to look good. Right. And a significant percentage of those thousands of hours go into designing a PowerPoint that still looks like crap, <laughs> but it looks better than it would have otherwise. And so, again, I think about preparation. It is important to prepare for meetings, but to prepare for them to accomplish in the meeting what you want to accomplish mm-hmm. and not to run through the steps. At Filament, we we look at – we want our meetings to be about insight discovery, not information delivery. Information delivery can be done asynchronously. It can be – like I'm looking at a handful of cameras here now – I'm going to look at this one camera and say, hey, team, this is what is on my mind. I want to talk about this. Look at that before you come. Mm-hmm. Record a private podcast, any one, of, any one of a number of ways. And then the team comes in prepared to do the work in person. And, hey, first thing, you all saw the video, right? Dan, you didn't? You don't get to participate in this part of the conversation. But then the conversation, okay, what should we do? Versus yeah. us, uh, well, my first slide is this. I was on your website, and one of the things that stood out to me was the, the setup of the room is, comes into play. And and it's so important because I, I was reading an article to where it, it was highlighting just even taking a step out of your office and walking around helps with that creativity. And on your site, it was talking about just being in a different environment and different settings and how the room is set up will help fuel some of that creativity, which makes the meetings better. And I'll tell you, one of the things that we're intentional about is that we make it hard to plug in a device, right? Our tables, our round tables are small for a reason. Right, we have lots of couches and chairs and love seats and different mm-hmm. seating areas. Uh, so even when people are in a room with us, this is hard to do in a hotel ballroom, right? But at Filament, and when we can, when we have a space that supports this, we want us to be in the room for maybe a third of our time. And now get up, go find some people you haven't worked with, and go do this for the next hour. Mm-hmm. Come back, and we'll talk about it collectively. But then you're having in that situation, much like the breakout rooms virtually, instead of one person talking at a time about a problem, oftentimes the highest powered person in that group, you now have 10 people talking about it, right? right? Because you've got 10 different groups where they're digging in, rolling at their sleeves, and you generate so much more ideas, but you also generate more commitment to the solution because everyone feels like they've been a part of that conversation just versus the traditional three people who always And that's talk. important. You want to feel part of the conversation. You want to feel part of the solution. And then you want to feel that you have the buy-in. Yeah. And then whatever decision is made, you have everybody behind you. That's right. And they know the reason why and the purpose. And and I, I will say this, and I know that we're this is a, a, a wide-ranging conversation, but I'll get on my soapbox a little bit. Oftentimes you ask people what they want in a meeting. They say, we want to be aligned, right? And I'll, I can ask that room, what does alignment mean? And, and is that good? And no one even defines it the same way. Uh, some people say alignment is 51% of us, right? Others say alignment is we all agree on everything. Others will say we all agree on most things. And others say we all pretend to agree with the boss, right? Even that as a metric is not necessarily a valuable one. Right. By the end of this meeting, we need to have a decision mm-hmm. or we need to have input. And I'm the decision maker, people. And I'm going to say that at the very beginning. I'm the decision maker. If we all come to agreement, great. But I'm going to use this meeting as time to debate, to push back, to ask questions, to find out where the room is, to find out what makes the most sense. But I'm the decision maker. 
we've all had times where we've walked out of meetings where everyone thinks, well, who decided what? Mm -hmm. Or even worse, they all think they're the decision maker. And even being clear on that, it's a regular, it's a great business practice generally. Uh, but in meetings to know these are the decisions we're going to make and these who are these who are responsible for those decisions and here's who has advice and veto rights is also important. And once the decision is made, it's made and everyone's united as you walk out of that meeting. That's right. Uh, nothing worse than the meeting after the meeting. Right. Right. It happens all the time where I as the meeting leader might say, oh, we all agree any objections and it's like the wedding, right? Does anyone object that this couple <laughs> should be married? Uh, and I don't hear any, so I assume everyone agrees. You know Aunt Edna doesn't think they should be married. <laughs> but in asking it that way, they don't have a chance to surface. So another great meeting practice, and especially in meetings of 10 or fewer, is that when you come to that inflection point, silence means no. This is what we've agreed. Will you support this with your team? Yes, yes, yes. Eh. You hear that, you say either, let's unpack that a little bit more because we're clearly not on the same page that we expected. Right. Or... I know you disagree, but will you commit? Mm -hmm. And that as a practice as well removes the opportunity for people to complain about the decisions everyone else made, even though they were in the same freaking meeting as they were. And they go and deliver the message. And that's the second part is unity and messaging. That's right. Right. Then then you have the best, uh, well, the perfect meeting. I don't think this is just limited to law firms. I mean, this has just been so... if I wasn't listening intently and, and really just absorbing everything, I'd be taking copious notes here. So I can't wait to go back and re-listen to this. But I just find what you're talking about so valuable, especially in the, in the era that we're in, when you have hybrid, when you have in-office, you're trying to really have people be creative and then be thoughtful and come up with solutions, but then you're remote. And how do you really get that engagement? Uh, it's it's so true. Meetings are broken for everybody, mm-hmm. right? No, uh, and, and the best cultures are often high-performing meeting cultures. Uh, The teams who get the most done, the executives who are most successful, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, But I want to say this. I think this is is an important takeaway, is that as you build cultures that have people working in different places, right, whether we're all virtual and remote, uh, and remote's not a good term. Remote is a, it makes people like, oh, you're not at the center of things. So Mm -hmm. virtual, or you're all in person, or it's a hybrid mix, the stuff that used to always happen in person in offices doesn't happen anymore because we're not all here at the same time. The accidental culture, we were talking before, uh, the being in the library, looking at books together, that's how old I am as a pra- as a former practicing lawyer, right? Oh, well, I, I remember those days too. Right, we, we <laughs> used to do stuff together. And the moment that you're no longer doing stuff in the lunchroom together or stopping by a cubicle or pointing out a new picture of a kid the virtual meetings or where they are become even more important because the culture that used to be built accidentally and serendipitously now needs to be built culturally. And oftentimes the only time we gather mm-hmm. are in meetings. Mm-hmm. And so how do we use those meetings to drive those sort of things? And I'll give I'll give a thing that we do in our team as an example. We have a 90-minute meeting, team meeting. We do it every other week. Uh, the alternative weeks we do, I do my one-on-ones with my team. But our first 15 minutes of our meeting is optional. You show up, talk about whatever you want to talk about. How was your weekend? How are things going? And if you're busy or you don't care about the chit-chat, you show up at at 10.15. We then have a very tight agenda for the next 30 minutes or so. But then for the last 30 minutes, we all commit to being in the same place at the same time, even though the meeting is over. Because that's when I can say, hey, I need something for you. You got five minutes. I need a quick thing from you. You got 10. Because right now, especially when we're not in the same place, but even before – 
We would spend so much of our time default scheduling meetings, whether it was 30 minutes or 60 minutes, for something that might need to take five minutes. Right. And so when your team is together, use that as intentional time to capture those five-minute one-offs, I need a quick decision, that sort of thing. And it's been really great for our team. We've seen our customers succeed with that as well. Uh, and one final thing that we try to do that I think is another great practice is if you are scheduling meetings, whether in person or online, make them for an odd number. I think 47 minutes and 17 minutes are the two perfect times because uh, no mm. one can add them more than three times in a row. <laughs> We've made our calendars the easiest game of Tetris possible. <laughs> hour, 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 hour. It's so easy to schedule an hour. Our, our Outlook or our, our Google is set to default to those times as well. Right. But if I set for you a 47-minute meeting uh, and I set it to start at 13 minutes past the hour, you're like, ooh, I got time. I got some time to go to the bathroom, right? right. Uh, or to answer a couple quick emails, you also are paying more attention because it's now 13 after the hour when we start for this meeting. So you're more, and you're more curious. And what you can do in 47 minutes is what you can do in an hour. Sure. Right? Just being, and, and maybe even make it shorter. But even those simple little 47, 17, and because no one can add 47 minutes, three times, I can't. Uh, and we're talking to lawyers, right? So none of us can add. Uh, <laughs> That you end up carving out bigger chunks of your day on a regular basis to reset, to be re-energized. And yeah, and people think that they have more time, Yeah, right? They say, oh, I have some free time so I can get to some things done. That's right. I'm going to try that. I'm going to implement that. Awesome. What's your website? Uh, we are at meetfilament.com. Uh, fairly soon to be a new one uh, once, once we finally turn the switch. Uh, but meetfilament.com, we have a space here in St. Louis down in the Cortex District where people can come to us for meetings. Uh, we also have, uh, we go on the road. So uh, high stakes meetings, retreats, uh, client engagement sort of things. We do that sort of stuff. And it's weird that uh, 95% probably now, 90% of our work is outside of legal. Right? We work with big companies. We work with nonprofits. We do cool stuff. With, with I saw companies. on the website, it's, it's quite a list. We, we, and and it's, it needs, needs to be updated. Like we're we're fortunate that we get, we have, have built a really cool business. But Lawyers are the only profession, and I can say this now with a fairly wide sample size, who care that the person in front of the room is a lawyer. Hmm. No one else asked me, except in joking, like, where'd you go to law school? Like, how the hell are you a lawyer? It's almost like if thing. you're from St. Louis, where'd you go where'd to high you go school? To high school? <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Uh, and so I don't know that there's many who, when you think about a law firm retreat, have the capacity to think creatively and, and use our approach, but also at least have that blow the dust off the credential, <laughs> even though I don't use it much anymore. Uh, and it's just an odd profession in that way. I, I like everything you're talking about because it really challenges the leaders, but then also the lawyers to think outside the box. And it takes them out of their comfort zone. And just to see the uh, progression is just something spectacular. I know we're going way over, but I have one one last story, if I might, to share. Oh, they came please. out of a thousand lawyer retreat, doing it for a big firm, had national offices all over the place. And the entire focus of this retreat, and it was me in front of this gigantic ballroom all day. So it wasn't an hour, it wasn't a workshop, it was leading them through a series of exercises and conversations. At the very beginning of the, of, of the retreat, uh, we let everyone sit where they chose. So they were all sitting in their own center of gravity with the people they knew, mm -hmm. the people in their office, and so on and so forth. And the first thing I did for the first hour, and I asked them, it took five minutes to set up. I said, for the next hour, I want you to answer one of three questions. They had a worksheet to fill this out, and we're talking about growing your business. I want you to answer these three questions. What are you doing to grow your business that works that everyone knows about? Second question, what are you doing that's kind of your best-kept secret? And the third is, what are you afraid to try? And I could not wait to see that answers for the second and the third one. And as I'm wandering around, it's 10 minutes in, 20 minutes in, 30, 40 minutes into this hour chunk of time, no one is getting past the first question. 
And I'm starting to really sweat it. Like, man, I, this is the first thing we're doing for this big group. What did I screw up? I finally get to the front of the room. And it's the managing partner and all of his peers. So the management, the, the managing of the New York office, the Chicago office, the Atlanta office, et cetera. I said, are you guys still in the first question? He goes, yeah, you got to hear this. So he points to the, the lawyer at, from the Atlanta office. And I swear he looked like Wilford Brimley. He sounded like Foghorn Leghorn. He was the <laughs> Southern gentleman lawyer. And he said... I just told them that you don't know your clients unless you know the name of their dog. And I laugh about that. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, I represent publicly traded companies. I can't give them gifts anymore. Right? It's bit, I just said, go buy the bottle of Happy Van Winkles. I can't afford, I, can, I don't want to make you do all the paperwork if I give it to you right. for Christmas. Right? He says, but there's not a damn thing that says I can't give their dog something. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? He says, my wife and I, he's saying this through, it, with his drawl that I will not try to offend <laughs> half your audience by imitating. Uh, my wife and I raise dogs. We have someone make treats for us. And so I imagine he has this bin of treats next to his desk, this mahogany <laughs> desk in this top story of the gigantic skyscraper in Atlanta. He says, whenever I go to visit a client, I take a scoop of the treats, I put them in a brown paper lunch sack, and I write the dog's name on it. And I bring one for the client, one for their admin, one for their chief of staff. Like, everyone I pass, I, we talk about dogs. How's Fluffy doing? Here's some treats for you, right? And he's sharing that, and there's part of me going, that's the best business development tip I've ever heard. It's brilliant. It's cheap. It's unique. It's mm -hmm. all of these things. And I asked the table, how many, you know, what question was that again? He said, oh, that was my answer to the first one. What are you doing that works that everyone knows about? And I asked the table, how many of you knew he did that? None of them knew it. I then, as we're wrapping up the session, I get to the front of the room. I recount the same story I've just told you. I asked the room of a thousand lawyers, how many of you knew that Wilford does this. Smattering of hands goes. And I was like, oh my God, what a great idea. And so oftentimes when you get people together to solve problems, to think about whether it's business development, client service, et cetera, it's not the ideas that seem out of the box and crazy, although there's amazing ones that come from there. Right. It's the ones that we haven't shared because we thought they were obvious to everyone else. And so I always love to ask those questions. What are some easy things, some safe things, some hard things, and some crazy things we can do? What are you doing that everyone knows about? And so even in your offices, right? If you're a firm, whether it's a big firm you're talking about or one that has 10 lawyers, sit down, pick a problem, talk about client engagement, whatever it is, and then ask, what are you, what are you all doing that we mm -hmm. all know you're doing? And at least a couple of ideas are going to come out that you didn't know, sure. but they were never shared. I mean, that's, that's spot on because you, you assume people know, but not everyone knows. And then once you share that idea, it's like, oh, that's and then others do it. And then you're building a It becomes a cascade of, of yeah. oh, what else do you do? And mm -hmm. this back and forth, it's amazing. Yeah, that's great. And then just the ideas that come from the sharing and the story and the engagement that come right. I mean, so many things come from that's that right. one story. That's right. So. It's thinking to, and, and uh, to maybe put a fine point on this, is that too many law firm retreats, social events, et cetera, are focused and built around drinking together and not just thinking together. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean they have to be mutually exclusive. But if it's, I go to the retreat because I can't wait for the social hour to finally catch up with my partners, to see my peers from other offices that I haven't seen in the last two years or three years or more. The moment they're at a table solving a problem, the same networking happens, the same connection happens, but it's, it's a deeper result than just sitting here waiting for the managing partner to talk about where we're going to open up our third office and when that's going to happen. And then having bad chicken 
for lunch. <laughs> and then finally going and having a great meal at a good restaurant with a good steak and a good glass of wine and cigars afterwards and yeah. golf and all that other sort of stuff. Fun. Wow, this is so cool. I'm so happy you came on. Thank you. I, I, I didn't take any notes because I was just so engaged in listening. But, I mean, beatings could be so boring. It, it, it but is, it's all it is in how a you... universal truth that they're terrible and uh, a universal missed opportunity. But I've been in some really epic ones, right? Because you leave there and you, you feel energized and excited and you feel you've come out with solutions and you, you can't wait to go implement. Right. And then others, you're just like, you know. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. This was very informative. I'm actually excited to go have a meeting and to schedule a meeting, but not too many meetings from what we've been talking about. I hope everyone found this information as entertaining and exciting and informative as I have. This is The Entrepreneur Lawyer. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm, presented by Lexicon. Lexicon is a legal software and services provider that enables lawyers to do what they do best practice law. Tune in next time with our hosts and be sure to subscribe and leave your review on your preferred podcast streaming platform or by visiting lexiconservices.com.